Ecolution. Welcome to the final part of this mini-series, made in conjunction with the Schools of Cashel and Feathered for Cashel Arts Festival. We set out to paint a picture of one town and how the people that live there work and exist within the environment. And it's kind of impossible to approach a town like Cashel without talking about agriculture. So we've gathered a crack team, this time from Cashel Boys National School, to discuss the matter at hand. And he couldn't have picked a better bunch, as so many of them live and work on farms with their parents. Hello, I'm Paddy and I'm 12 years old. George Thompson. I'm Dennis, I'm 12 years old. John O'Mahony. I'm Harry Hughes and I'm a seven-year-old. My name's Daniel. My name's Harry and I'm 12 years old. Declan White Cochran. Kyle Hugh, I'm a seven-year-old and I'm a teenager. Alton Hugh, and I'm a seven-year-old and I'm a teenager. I'm Michal Ryan and I'm in second class. I'm Michal's dad. Uh, my name is Michael. We farm in the shadow of the Rock of Cashel. We're very proud of the dairy farming that we do and we're looking forward to talking to you today. What kind of farming takes place around Cashel? We're very fortunate in the Cashel area that we've got excellent quality land. Some of the best in Ireland, some of the best in the world. So we have a great variety of farming. Tillage farming, beef, dairy, sheep and horse breeding and racing takes place around Cashel. We're dairy and beef farmers. Dairy, you milk the cows to get milk and beef. You feed them and fatten them up for dinner. So dairy farmers have lots and lots of calves. The male calves then are usually sold to other farmers who go on and they rear them and then they turn to beef as well. So when I say beef, that's where you get your burgers from, that's where you get your steaks, your fillets, all those meats, that's where they come from. Dairying is a very big part of the industry. It's a big part of our economy as well. And um, there's dairying all over the place. Why? Because the land is exceptionally good and it gives us a great advantage uh, to grow lots and lots of grass. For us, Michal, we have our cows out in the grass 300 days a year, from the 1st of February to the end of November, which makes a big difference to our business. Equine is a big part of Cashel's economy as well. I ride one horse. My father just mucks it out. He doesn't ride. So we have to give them, like, food twice a day. Breakfast is hay, and then their dinner is oats and nuts and all of that. The straw is for their bed, and then they have, like, some kind of cool water pot. You race with horses. The main races go on in Dubai and places like that that aren't really in Ireland, but there are a lot of horse breeding places in Ireland too and horse racing as well. You get horses that are different to try and make the best horse from the two genetics that they have. Horses, uh, if they hear loud noises, they they will like kick up and run around. Cows, like if they hear noises, they won't really buck up and kick as much as the horses do. And if like the horse gave a kick to the cow, they'd have to get moved or something. So in Longfield and Burhis, they both have bullocks and horses. And a horse and a bullock might meet together, they might be friends, and then when they move to a different field, they see themselves again and they become more friendly. And tillage then is the final farming business that takes place. We grow a lot of tillage. So the, what I mean by tillage is with barley, wheat, oats, barley. You could have malt and barley. You have lots of fodder crops like kale, red stars. My dad, he grows um, like beef, um, 
barley and like hay and some other stuff sometimes. In the summer months you have to work a lot for it and like it really depends on the weather. This time of the year it's meant to be improving but so far no because all we've been getting is rain. So During the, the summer time you'd want to be doing silage and you just don't want to pour in rain yeah, because you'd have really that's bad That's like bales. the worst thing. Loads and loads of type of farming takes place in Cashel because we really have some of the best land in the world and we're very fortunate to live in it. The land in Cashel, like any part of the world in which agriculture takes place, is genuinely the basis for everything. Soil is the link between air, water, rocks and organisms and is responsible for many different functions in the natural world, functions we call ecosystem services. Soil helps with air quality and composition, temperature regulation, carbon and nutrient cycling, water cycling and, through decomposition, the most natural waste treatment we have. It also provides a natural habitat for so many living things as well as being the basis of the food that we grow. But like us, Michal wants to know more. What do you need from the land to farm? Well, I suppose what the land does first and foremost for us as dairy farmers, Michal, it, it provides a habitat for our cows. They spend 300 days of the year out of grass, they sleep there, they lie there, and they also they get what they eat every day out there. Let it be the grass, the clover. Some farmers practice multi-species now at this stage where they have plantain, chicory, different crops. But for us, it's mainly grass and clover. So it, it provides food for the animals, provides shelter and it provides shade for them, depending on the weather. Summertime, they'll, they'll stand in under the ditch. Even a bad, miserable winter's day, they'll put their backs to the bad weather and they'll stand by the ditch. So the land does an awful lot of things for us. What state is the soil? The soil in Cashel is a loam clay soil. Our farm, for example, is about 75 to 80% loam soil, which means it's a free draining textured soil. We have some clay in some of the soil as well, and that's the wetter part of the farm. We would call that the boggy land. Now, for people in different parts of the country, their definition of what a boggy field is versus ours is a bit different. But we classify that a field that's tricky to graze in the beginning of the year and in the end of the year. We call those the shoulders of the year. We have a good quality land that can, can cope with tricky weather at most times unless it's exceptionally bad or exceptionally good so it's so free drain so look we've great land and the soil allows us to be very productive at what we do you need good soil to grow beef that's made into sugar and you need um, soil for cows that makes beef we have good soil but if the soil stays dry for a while it could burn if there's a drought spot uh, over summer or like just really not enough rain it will stop crops and all all that there's a lot of soil that you can get on a farm and it, sometimes it'd be very bad like it'd, it'd be very hard and grass wouldn't grow on it so that's why people spread fertilizer on the grass it morally goes into the soil and gets the grass grow sometimes the fertilizer goes into the rivers and causes pollution i know the tractors are causing pollution with the smoke and the fertilizer and all that but like we're getting a lots of milk and beef from farms. The boys bring up an important issue. Agriculture is one of the most important pillars of industry in Ireland, and as a result, it's one of our biggest carbon emitters. A lot of blame has been put on the door of agriculture and its focus on growth. Over the past 10 years, there's been a 50% increase in the milk that we produce here. And with the advent of the Climate Action Bill, this puts it in line with other industries that we need to alter their course. Improvement in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, water quality and biodiversity are just a few of the areas that will require attention at farm and overall industry level. Farmers know that change is coming. It's inevitable and it's necessary because every industry is changing and has changed before. 
How has farming been forced to change in the past 30 years and why? 30 years is a, is a little bit aggressive to me now, Michal. I'm only 42 now, but uh, I can talk for the last 10 years maybe or 15 years. How is it changing? I suppose we've been forced to change, but the changes that we're been forced to do, I fully agree with. Fertiliser is a necessity, but it can become an environmental challenge as well. I hold my hand up there, it can be. But the new types of fertiliser are coming out are called protected urea, protected fertiliser, which basically means when it hits the ground, it has a protective chemical on the outside of it that takes it longer to break down and it won't volatilise up into the sky. You know, it won't be wasted. So the farmer is winning because he's not losing the value of the product and the environment is winning because it's staying and working where it should work. There's other things like slurry spreading through less. Low emission slurry spreading is what less means. So for example, you know the loose slurry tank we have at home, Michal, with the dribble bar on the back of it? And it puts the slurry right down on the ground. Now slurry is gold to us. Maybe the older generation saw slurry as an inconvenience, but now we realise slurry is a very valuable commodity on the farm. It's worth money. It's an organic product that grows a lot of grass and it actually helps earthworms in the soil. If you don't have earthworms, you don't have grass. They aerate the grass, they recycle all the nutrients, they do all the things. We're forced about the amount of stock that we can carry on our farms. There's only a certain limit that you're allowed to carry on your farm. So you have to meet certain criteria to do that. So these are some of the regulations that are there, but they all make sense. One of the things we've learned from the episodes we've done on farming and biodiversity is that not every farm is built with nature in mind. But again, that's something that's changing and hopefully something that will speed up. How good a space are farms for nature right now? They're in a good place. They can do better. We're learning an awful lot, especially the new generation that's coming into the farming environment. They're more educated on what they need to do. Wildlife, foxes, my God. We have foxes around the place all the time. Like, at the moment, we have four cub foxes above in the field. And I went around the corner there last week, and there they were playing out in the field pucking each other, rolling around the grass, and they never saw me. They're so young now that they weren't even kind of wary of of, uh, a predator, as they might call it, coming around the corner. And it was great. So now, actually, we're putting a bit of feed up there for them because their poor mother is worn out from walking around non-stop. She's out at 3 o'clock in the day. She's out at 6 o'clock in the morning. She's a pat worn around the farm. Uh, That fixing fox is working fierce hard to keep them going out the moment. The admiration Michael Kelly has for the fox is evidence that he, like many farmers and their families, has a genuine interest in the nature that they see on their farms and a desire to improve upon it. When I um, go out in the fields, I've seen like a few pheasants and foxes like running around it. Recently there's been a lot of hawks coming around and they always come back in big bunches then in the summer. The land is very spacious and there's going to be a lot of um, say mice or anything running around and the food is literally laying right where they want it. Lately um, we've started to see the increase of rabbits coming to the farm. We've always had hares until recently but we haven't seen one of them in the last year or so. I saw a badger the other night and then I saw small birds living in the bushes and the hedges. Like our farm for example we all is alive with stock in the night time. When I say foxes, badgers, hedgehogs there's rabbits to meet the band, we've shrews, we've a red squirrel even, with a big bushy red tail trotting across the road. It was fantastic to see it and I got such a kick out of it and it's the first time I've ever seen a red squirrel so maybe that's a sign of we're doing things a little bit better and we hope to continue that way. Of course, wild animals aren't always welcome on a farm. But like rabbits, they can like decrease the amount of corn and like all the stuff like a lot so they can be harmful to the crop. 
The foxes aren't the nicest things to be having because they can do a lot of damage around the place. They can bite an animal like a calf. If you're leaving out a new pen of calves, they could have bitten a calf. Um, we used to have chickens, but the fox got to all of them. But increasingly, there's an understanding that our practices across the board need to live more harmoniously with our environment. We do need to improve. We can improve. And it's very important to us and you, Michal, as a young man, that we're going to do as, as good as we can. Evolution! It's one thing to discuss the large fauna, but it's the smaller creatures, those that buzz, that do a lot of the hard work on farms, illustrating just why a greater harmony with nature is essential for us to carry on. The decrease in bees is a huge problem. They're one of the most important animals out of any of them. We'd have beehives on some of the sheds. They pollinate the grass and they don't really cause much trouble, so they're just nice to have around too. And farmers understand that it is possible to make the lives of bees easier, making suitable forage that little bit easier to find. There's a lot of different corners and parts and farms where farmers are, are planting trees now. Like those are identified as areas that you can work with. Like Schlock, for example, is what we would call black thorn and white thorn. So if you walk out now at the moment, Michal, and you walk around our farm, you'll see all the white thorn trees are in full bloom at the moment. They're all white. So these, if you leave them grow and blossom like that, you've got the bees are going to arrive on because they're going to take the nectar, they're going to make the honey. So that's another factor, so our neighbour up the road. As you know, all the bees come over to our place and to the flowers, and that's, that's where they get it from. If you cut down a tree, I'd say you're better off to replant a new tree or replant a few more new trees to help uh, biodiversity. So the EU can contact you and they could ask you you're not allowed to remove hedges without getting permission and without planting another hedge, maybe the length of the one you're taking away. You could have to leave an acre to grow into wild land for the bees and the animals and they ask you to do stuff like that just to help the biodiversity. The more support farming families get, the more changes they might make. So what are the ways cattle farmers are taking a proactive approach to creating these habitats? How are farmers improving the biodiversity of a variety of plants and animals on their farms? I suppose you have to create an environment. Some farms, for example, have controlled wetlands. Birds end up coming to this wetland. Now, it, 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 it's a dual purpose. It's able to filter soil water that comes from the farm. You have reeds on it, you have different types of plants. So there's a lot of biodiversity comes from that. The other way you encourage it as well is you have to keep a metre and a half back from your streams and rivers. And that area is usually alive and a wild with frogs and all different things in that area. We have an island and we leave it grow organically because the EU asked us to and they give a small compensation every year to keep the cattle away from it and have the water around it fenced off so the cattle can't go in there and drink and kind of pollute the water with the dirt. There's lots of wildflowers, dock leaves, big tall grass. We went in on the island in the jeep last year and we found a big frog and ladybugs everywhere. Yeah, it's really nice up there. There is one thing, however, that is the easiest encouragement for biodiversity on farms, and that's hedgerows. Yeah, leave a few hedgerows around and wildflowers. The hedgerows are very big. They're the rows in the middle of the field, like the bushes. I suppose the original function is to keep stock from breaking into your neighbour's farm or his stock breaking into your farm or vice versa. That's the first thing. So back before there was any electric wire, um, that's all you'd have to keep the cattle um, apart from each other. 
Like hedgerows are obviously better for the environment and, in my opinion, they look a lot nicer. It's a good habitat for birds to live in and it can home a lot of animals. One day I seen a fox out there. He was running around in the hedgerows and he cut across the road to another hedgerow. Birds, rabbits. Once a fox smells a rabbit, they're gone trying to catch it and sniff it out. Rats, mouses and hedgehogs. I saw a tiny baby hedgehog recently. You can see that peachy colour off him, which is rare enough that you see a hedgehog. A mouse and a rat might be cousins or brothers, and then they live next door to themselves. I'd love to see hares. The unfortunate part of modern mechanisation is that hares just don't get the opportunities because their nesting environment and the forms that they make for the leverets when they're born is taken away, so that's, that's an unfortunate thing. Like, I'm a great lover of seeing hares around the place. It gives me great joy when they rise up. It might be worth maybe supporting places where there is hares, supporting farmers by giving them a financial incentive not to cut such and such a place. And it seems that there is a great awareness of the importance of these hedgerows and how we care for them on many farms around cattle. The hedgerows get cut every October. You have to cut the very top first and you go down. You can only go down two more times because if you go down more you cut animals if they're living in there. We're attempting at the moment to keep the hedgerows from seven feet up. Now the reason why we want them seven feet up, Michal, is because the bird will be afraid if they put the nest down too low when the nesting season is there in the, in the months of February, March and April. So they want it at a certain height. They don't want their eggs taken by somebody else. So it has to be up at a certain height. A main season you can't um, cut the hedgerows. You want to preserve the wildlife there. There's a good lot of that in Cashel and that's what we're aiming for. What about the kids living on farms? What small actions do they take to try and make their homes good bases for a complete ecosystem? I help frogs by like shoveling out or digging out a little circle in the middle of the field and putting in water uh, as a little pond just to make them get water and stuff. I get a few bird feeders and if I get some, I put some seeds into them and I buy a load of trees and we get ones with long branches because if they want to make their nests, it's like the other day I started my tractor and I saw a bird fly out. But then I checked, I lifted up the battery cover and I saw five eggs in the nest. So I couldn't turn on the tractor, so I looked it up on my phone and it said eight to ten weeks until you can move them. So, the will seems to be there. It is hard, however, to discuss agriculture and not question emissions because we have a dairy herd that has grown immensely in the past few years. The average number of cows in my co-op, which is dairy gold, basically North Cork, South Tipperary, that's the general area, is 80 cows. The reality is it'll probably be 100 cows in another few years' time. I hope it doesn't get any bigger. The average number of cows in, in New Zealand is around 300. Now, there's plenty of farms in, in Cashel that are 250, 300, 400 cows, but land is your restriction there. You have to have the land. If the cow can't walk to it, you're not going to do it. Demand will be there for food. I'd be a little bit concerned there because I think it's just going to get bigger and bigger. And to be honest with you, you might be making more money, but are you better off? Do we have time for these lads? And Michael brings up one of the key points of all climate transitions, because our world is built around profit. People's livelihoods depend on the way in which they farm, the way in which they go about their business. And when they feel scapegoated, it's easy to become polarised even more. And when that happens, everybody tries to point blame in a different direction. 
which is understandable. Also, there's planes and the amount of diesel and fuel they let off while they're going across the sky and there's never really anybody giving out about them. And then it's kind of like there's a lot more things you could give out about, but farming's kind of focused on. The reason farming is focused on is because of a smelly problem that comes up again and again, that of methane. And Michael has his own take. Animals produce methane, we produce methane. Let's be clear about that. We all produce methane. I have no doubts if we, as as European economy, get, get penalised and get forced to reduce our stock to cut back the amount of animals that we have... I have every confidence that Brazil, Argentina and countries like that will fill the gap and they'll, they'll have to clear for us and they will be supported to do it. Is that the right way to go? Food is a global issue. We generate a lot more of certain foods in Ireland than we can eat and we do this to create exports that bring money into the country. Separately, another less easy to swallow thing is that we export waste, leaving other countries to not clean up our mess but rather to absorb it, clogging their rivers with plastic used in the global north. So it's an interesting question. If we stop producing food, are we instead exporting the problem to be dealt with in another place? Or do we need to tackle the root of what we eat? The Climate Action Bill requires all industries to reduce their emissions by 49% by 2030, which is a huge undertaking, and one that's going to ruffle a lot of feathers. And that's understandable, because change is demanding. You're after spending money on that land, and just for them to rock on and say, oh, can you turn that this land into um, bog land, basically, just for animals to wander around it, and you spent your money on that land to um, feed your animals off it and make a profit off it. Well, like, if the government gave enough money, like, for people to, like, leave them wild, then people would leave them wild. Like. There is also a fear that good work already underway won't be recognised. My environmental footprint is 0.7, The other farmers in the co-op would be, the co-op that I supply, would be 1.1, 1.2. So we're a large percentage lower than them because we practice all the things that we need to do. My biggest concern is that we'll all get painted with the same brush when, the new regula- when newer regulations come in. And I think the farmers that are doing the right things need to be recognised for this and not to be penalised with one brush throw across the board. Farmers across Ireland, not just in Cashel, understand that change is needed. And we've met many who are on board with those changes. But, as we've seen in the run-up to the Climate Action Bill, not everybody is as committed. Are farmers going to change their ways to make it more safe for nature? They will. Some might need to be coerced into doing it, but they will. Uh, We've no choice. We are custodians of the land. It's as simple as that. Growing up on farms seems to have given the boys a pretty deep love for farming and lots of hope around the direction it's going to go. It is changing. They could make a thing that would stop slurry from rolling off the edge into water or they could make more advanced stuff that would just stop pollution. Like, they could make electrical tractors. There's a lot of derelict corners and places and farms that are not been, that are not been farmed by animals. They're, they're not used by vegetation. There's no farm in the country that you, could, that you could walk that wouldn't have spots that you could grow trees. Young Michal here is only eight years of age. He might be 60 or 65 years of age by the time he gets to see a mature tree. What about it, like? It's going to be something he said, that, well, I, I put that down when I was eight or nine years or ten years of age with my dad. And look at the size of it now. Fertilizers are going to have to grow and develop. It's, it, it's a necessity in the farming business that we have at the moment. We will all have to learn to use less but to grow the same if we can at all because the economics have to match 
the ambition of, of both the environmental lobby and the farmers themselves. And I believe they can marry each other in the long run because if we don't work together, we won't be successful. I think it will be easier in the future of farming if any of us ever become a farmer because there will be all this advanced stuff and it will be like almost automatic. There might be um, automatic tractors that do it instead of people. Although then again that could put people out of jobs which would be bad. Yeah, I, I see that maybe we might get a few robots. Yeah, and um, the farmers will have to do a lot more work on the computer. So we asked them the big question. Will you be a farmer when you grow up? Yes. That's where I'm going to be when I grow up. Because you get like a bigger house. And you can you can drive tractors and gators and quad bikes around. Um, she loves farming because they always play it at Harry's house. They play out in the hall with the tractors, the farm, animals, the farm yard that they have. I hope I will. Too. Yeah, hopefully I take over all the land. I'll be happy. Well, I'd encourage any of my children, to be honest with you now, uh, male or female, whichever one has the, the real interest in the business, because if you don't, farming is very much a job that you've got to have a love for the job that you're doing. I don't mind you sweep the road if you like to sweep the road, but you have to have a love for the job. Farming, it's more lifestyle than a job. Once you're interested in it, it's kind of hard to go away from it. And once you're brought up on a farm, like, and there's nothing else to do, it's like you're always down the farm helping, you get a big interest for it. I'd like to be a farmer, but there's a lot of responsibilities. I'd like to work on a farm, but not really fully own it, because I don't really like that much pressure on my shoulders. You get a lot of knocks and blows in farming, but you get a lot of good times as well. You'd have cattle like animals, and like you'd have a few pets as well. Such as, like, I have a pet cat. He follows me around. Aero. And uh, machinery attracts me a lot because um, it's fun to drive the machinery, but at the same time it can be dangerous. I'd like to invent a, a few machines on the farm. I love what I do. I really enjoy it. I enjoy the challenge of it. I enjoy the success we get out of it. And we get a lot of success out of it. I'd carry on with the farming because my granddad's dad was a farmer as well. I would like to be a farmer because... I would like to um, do exactly what my dad is doing now and carry on with the family because my granddad, I think, was a farmer and then my dad and then I think I might be a farmer then. It seems that no matter what the future of farming is across Ireland, the ambition of the kids we heard from today is to follow through and hopefully make it work better into their future and beyond. Huge thanks to the pupils of Cattle Boys National School, Hall and his dad Michael, and to Will Ryan at the school who recorded all of the interviews heard today. This mini-series was intended to celebrate Cashel Arts Festival from a different perspective, and I hope that what the three shows achieve is to illustrate how thoughtful and how engaged the young people of Cashel are with the town and their environment. And, as you know, if all else fails, we can play at being farmers on our computers instead. There's a game on PlayStation called Farm Simulator. You you get to buy different animals. You can check your bank account and you can buy tractors and stuff. And you, you can buy your own animals. And you can extend your farm, get more fields. And you can do these little dirt piles that you can build. I don't know what they for, but I just build thousands and thousands of them in my farm. Ecolution. Ecolution was produced by Nicky Cockland for RTE Junior Radio.
Artisan. Artisan.